Hello and welcome to another episode of the Future Hospitality Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Wells, joined today by co-host Dustin Myers. We are partners at Longitude Branding, a hospitality, branding, and experience design agency. At Future Hospitality, our goal is to interview the brightest minds in the industry, gathering insights, ideas, and inspiration to share with you. Today, we're joined by Nina Kenodi-Metz, principal at Studio Parallel, a full-service architecture and interior design firm based in Brooklyn, New York. We'll get to learn more about her firm, challenges that she's overcome, and the processes behind her studio's thoughtful and timeless designs. She'll also share with us how her company and her clients have benefited from flexible workspaces, especially during the pandemic. Well, let's go ahead and dive in. Nina, thank you so much for joining us today. We're super excited to have you on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited as well. Yeah, so we had uh, we had found out about you and Studio Parallel. Um, I think it was through a uh, hospitality design interview. And we loved uh, reading through that interview and just getting some insight into what you guys are doing and some of the background around... Um, you and, and Studio Parallel. So I thought it'd be really neat to reach out and just get some of your insights um, on the podcast and share that with our listeners. And so a lot of people, a lot of people might not be super familiar with Studio Parallel and what you guys do. Um, so how would you kind of sum that up and kind of give people a, a quick brief history about what it is you guys do? Um, yeah. Um, we are a husband and wife partners team that we've been doing work together for about 15 years and in the in all sort of spectrum of design and we sort of have an interesting model for the way we run the um, firm and which we can talk a little bit more about but we started about 15 years ago when my husband really just wanted to diversify his you know, um, experience and also his work because, you know, when you work in big architecture firms and sometimes you can get pigeonholed into different, you know, sort of, you know, uh, work styles or work modes. And he wanted to be able to do all sorts of different design. And at that time he wasn't getting experience in any of those things. So he started doing the, what I call the, uh, sporadic weekend job. And so he'd finish his weekly shift and then start doing the other projects on the side and that's sort of how studio parallel started and then uh, in ar around 2010 when i was also working in some you know ed worked in some big architecture firms and we decided to start a family we started to seriously think about you know the possibility of making this a real thing where i could become the main principal and work on projects and we could have our own firm and not necessarily be tied to um working in our, in the farms but a couple years before that that the big recession of 2008 had really scared us so instead of like investing in a sort of brick and mortar find an office space working um, and hiring people, getting interns and the whole nine and sort of investing a lot of, of our personal capital into starting something, we thought we would go the route of sort of just bringing people on as needed. And 
it's been working thus far and um, we do a lot of hospitality and retail and a lot of residential as many people do in New York and we've also started venturing into doing educational projects and we um, we we're pretty lucky it's it's a pretty great setup yeah yeah that's great and I'm, I, I'd love to chat a little bit more about that here in a bit um, and kind of dive into you know why you guys chose that route and how it's um, benefited your projects and your team and and whatnot but um, what are some, you know, just, you know, you and your, your, you know, um, his name's Chris, right? Um, you're, yes. yeah. Um, what were some of the challenges kind of early on when you guys first decided to partner and kind of go in on this together and really go at it? Um, and, you know, put the, you know, your foot on the pedal, so to speak. Um, what were some of the big challenges maybe out of the gate that you encountered? Uh, if, if there were any, and, and how did you overcome those? So right off the bat, the probably the biggest challenge was the balance between having, you know, a, a, a shifting from having a day job where you went to an office and you worked from, you know, nine to whatever time in the evening. And, you know, you, you, you had people above you that sort of took lead on other things. The first biggest challenge, I think, for us was, now working directly with the clients and taking ownership and having onus of the entire thing from soup to nuts and being able to balance that um, and actually make enough money to sustain a business and to live our lives. And at the time we were starting a family. So, you know, a lot of the, the stress was trying to, you know, attract clients and we we really worked hard to give really good service to these people and really talk up, you know, if you have any friends that are looking to, you know, do a renovation, if you have any other colleagues in the restaurant and cafe business that are looking for someone. And so we really stepped up the way we sort of presented ourselves to the clients to sort of build up, you know, a following in, in, you know, so to speak, and joining some BD groups in order to see if we can, you know, attract business. And that that's, I think, the hardest part of going off on your own right off the bat. It, it's like really scary. And you have to really think about what number of projects do I need in a year or in a few months in order to sustain this business. And I think that, you know, was another thing that informed later the decision to, to keep the model that we started. Um, another challenge, I would say, um, is that when you're starting out right at the beginning, people, you're testing the waters. They're testing the waters with you. They're taking a chance on you. You've been given a project and, you know, you don't really have that much in your portfolio to show them that is not work you've done standalone by yourself. So a lot of times you, you're talking about work you've done under the umbrella of another person's company. So, you know, really trying to get projects that we could get experience so we could talk about them as at the same time also have portfolio that we could present through our website and then you know marketing it in a way and we've been really lucky that so far we've had sort of the guerrilla marketing style that people have really sent work our way and we've done a few things here and there but it hasn't been any major you know we haven't hired a publicist or anything like that or needed to do any kind of aggressive marketing so it's worked out um, but it's definitely a patience game and it's working hard to, you know, really put your best foot forward with the clients and speak up on things that come up and take a chance on clients and they take a chance on you. 
So that the beginning was really tough because starting a family is like that's a whole new baby, and then your business is a whole new baby. So it was it was really hard at the beginning. Yeah, I I can certainly imagine, um, and I think it's a testament to your guys' work that you've been able to land really cool projects um, without having some of the quote unquote necessities of a of a studio. Um, what do you think? Uh, has helped overcome any um, obstacles there or any um, roadblocks to helping you get the kind of projects that you want? Yeah, it's, it's, it, we're very lucky. I mean, the, I think there's, there's sort of two schools of thought, um, more than that, but the ones that I really do see happen with a lot of my colleagues and people that I know they're the people that take the route of hiring someone and going the, you know, really trying to get themselves into a magazine and getting advert, you know, getting their name in a place where they feel like the masses are going to see them in, you know, interior design magazine, architectural digest, all these big, you know, rags that are amazing when you buy them and you see your name in them and you, you know, you, you get that, that notoriety and that's really wonderful. But then in many, many discussions I've had, with lots of people about, you know, how to go about that. How do like, who do I need to talk to in order for that to happen? You know, I want to get that feature in Domino magazine. I want to get that feature. It, you know, it was a conscious thought at the time in a decision to sort of not pursue that path because we quite frankly did not have the money for it. So we, I think the, the thing we did do was give extremely good service to the clients and then say the words, you know, I'm, you know, hunting the next project. If you have, you know, you know, that restaurant tour over there, great. Give them my number if they're looking to renovate. And we really did luck out because people sent people our way. And, you know, it took a very long time to get to a place where we could say, you know, this is a scale of project we take on and this is a scale we don't take on, or this is a, you know, kind of project we want to work on and be a little bit more picky. But for a very long time, we kind of did anything that came our way and tried our best to make it what we thought was beautiful, modern, you know, functional design. And luckily the clients were open to it. And we'll say we, I have done my share of steering clients in the direction I want to go. And even if they might've wanted to go sort of a different way. And that has also been sort of a good thing for us. And I think you just have to make your, your own destiny as it relates to the kind of work you want to do. And then, you know, it'll more will come and, you know, that's what's happened. Yeah. Yeah, and I, you know, I think anybody who has kind of gone through that process of, um, you know, starting their own business and, you know, like you mentioned earlier, the, how it's a little scary when you're, when you're first starting and you're trying to figure out how to pay bills and all this stuff. And you kind of do have to, I mean, kind of trudge through the mud, so to speak, and just kind of take whatever you can get. Um, but I wonder, like, what was it like when you first, like, you got your first, like, dream project that like fit checked all the boxes for you guys and um something you could you know would would stand as your own work you weren't you weren't working under someone else um to complete it what was it like kind of going through that process and seeing it all come to fruition how did that you know that process make you feel so um I think the the very first thing about getting these projects and doing it on our own, you know, from the beginning to end under our own stamp, you know, as architecture design team, 
just completing the first project, which, you know, was in the space of um, residential, just gratifying because you ask the question to the client, do you love your space? Is this some, is this what you wanted in the end? It's a lot of, you know, emotional up and down and a lot of hard work and they um, love their home. And that's a beautiful, gratifying feeling. I think in the space of hospitality and retail and the some of the restaurants we've done for me those have been quite surprisingly gratifying because it's a different kind of pace and a different um, set of challenges as it relates to the client needs and so I think one of the first restaurants that we did that we had sort of um, an artistic collaborative on board as well as so it was we were the architect architect of record, the design architect, and then we had this artist on board that was sort of steering the client's vision for what he wanted the restaurant to be. And finishing that with all these different cooks in the kitchen and all these different ideas flying around, knowing that the client had a very particular budget because, you know, in the restaurant and retail business, especially in restaurants, you know, there's a huge budget that's put towards equipment and things that have nothing to do with design. I need to be able to cook the food. So I need all this stuff and all the different things that go into actually making a restaurant function have nothing to do with whether you make it pretty or not, or a really interesting space. So having to just sort of manage that part of it, but then also try and create a space that meets the client's vision. Finishing that the very first time was such the most exhausting experience, but also um, so gratifying because, you know, decisions are made at breakneck speed and, and we have to roll with it, but keep the vision cohesive and crystallized so that, but at the end of it, you still have this idea that you can be proud of that we you put together. So just opening the doors and having people walk in, I think the first coffee shop probably that I did cafe, I went and had coffee there secretly just in the back to gauge people's you know sort of reaction and feelings about the space and for me that's the most gratifying thing about doing a project like that is being able to go to see people feel something and experience it and look around and sit and like sort of you know you can see they feel something and that that is really great for me when it comes to you know this kinds of projects and that at the very beginning that was we chase I was chasing that feeling and we we definitely got it and all the sweat and tears were worth it, so to speak. That's really cool. Tell us a little bit about your process on um, how you design a space that is going to check all those boxes and really create the right experience for the end user, whether it's uh, a hospitality application or um, something else. We We really start with trying to understand who the client is, who the owner is, um, why, what's your why, and what are you trying to evoke for yourself? If you are the guest in the space, um, we have the conversation and really just try and dive into like, you know, no holds barred if all things were equal and you had, you know, no budget to worry about what do you want? What do you, what do you want to feel? What do you want to see? How do you want people to experience your space? And then once we, we, you know, we have a checklist of items that we want to be able to understand, you know, and I think for me, it's extremely important to start off on the right foot with, you know, really getting a concept 
getting on board with a concept with a client that they're in love with and they're super excited about because then everything else is sort of it's a downhill you know trudge it's easier to get to the end where since you started on such a high point and you're not sort of trying to constantly reinforce the concept and constantly fighting to to make it match something so that's where we always start with all our projects in in every single space um and project type and for us budget is extremely important as well because and that sort of is the very close second conversation we'll have with the clients because we really do believe that we're not going to design a you know a one million dollar restaurant if your budget is half of that we're not going to design a four hundred fifty thousand dollar cafe if your budget is half of that you know it it it's counterproductive and you end up spinning sort of yarns for each other and then at the end of the day you have to cut 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 and it's more of a disappointing feeling so especially for the client and i find that i've i've we've done that before we've done it when we've worked with other firms we did it right at the beginning sort of rookie mistakes where you kind of promise the stars and the moon to the client oh yeah we can do it and yeah budget's not really an issue we can definitely do it and then you with more experience you realize that that's a lot of time wasted whereas we like to have a very upfront conversation about I will design to your budget and I'll make, I'll create a beautiful space for you I'll create a functional space for you I'll create a space that you'll be happy to be in but I don't want to play the game where you know, we give all the money to one part of one trade and one part of the space and the other one is lacking. I'd rather have a holistic conversation. And that's, I found, it's a hard conversation to have. It's a hard conversation to have at the beginning of a project because when you talk money, no one likes to talk money. <laughs> um, probably in the restaurant and hospitality world, that's probably the easiest place that people will talk about money. In most other, you know, typologies it's there's a lot of hesitation towards actually being honest with your budgets and the money that's available on the project but i you know i really try and push them to say the more realistic and honest you are the better i can serve you and so that's sort of the next step and i found once we've locked in a really crystallized idea and we're all on the same page we have a really strong brand idea of what we're doing or at least we have an extremely strong direction of where we're trying to go um, and we know the budget, then everything else sort of falls into place. I My favorite part of design really is the space planning and trying to lock in schematically where everything lies. So that part is always fun. And I always present way more ideas than, you know, the client is ever expecting. You know, we're like, we'll have three to four schemes for you. And I always come with six or seven or eight. And it always kind of makes them like, oh, my God, I can't choose. And that makes me happy. It makes me happy that there's a lot of good ideas on the table that we can pick and choose and dissect. And so then we take it from there. And, you know, um, I find that if you if those two things are, you know, those three things work well, then the DNA of the space is already set up and then you can adjust in real time and go from there. And you we usually end up with a pretty good product that the client's really happy with. Yeah. That's great to hear about kind of the the thinking that goes into that. And you mentioned, uh, you know, the DNA of the space and the, you know, kind of the brand and um, you use some of those terms. You know, we, you know, the process that we kind of go through with a lot of our clients often happens, um, you know, sometimes it happens before architects are involved in interior designers. Sometimes it happens after and sometimes we're working in, in tandem with them. And so... Um, you know, developing out that brand and that voice and that tone for the space and for the concept. 
Um, what are you guys, when you guys are working on these various concepts, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've gone through different um, versions of what I just described, but what do you guys see as kind of working best when it comes to um, kind of creating that well-rounded guest experience? You know, what stages in the processes are kind of all these cooks in the kitchen? Um, you know, what stage would like the branding and architecture kind of be paired well together? Yeah, um, I used to have a very straightforward answer for something like this because I used to think it was fun to create the brand with the client at the same time as the designer and architect. And I found, though, that, you know, somehow if the client has this very, very strong brand and idea for who they are first, then we can tweak it and make it better. And it 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 usually is much harder sort of discovering it together. Um, it's possible, we've done it, it's okay. You know, I had one client, we were doing a cafe in Brooklyn in an area called Flatbush. And this is an area that, the, the, the area is sort of more of a residential space and they lived close by and they had both worked in Michelin star restaurants in Manhattan and they were both kind of sick of it and had started families and needed like a different, you know, sort of headspace in a different zone. And they wanted to create this really upscale, but nice um, European, you know, forward. They're both from Europe and had emigrated here a long time ago. And they just wanted to create this space and they had no idea exactly what they wanted it to feel like or look like. And I went through iteration after iteration of okay, are we going with more of a, you know, a sustainable eco-feeling green space on the inside, like with plants and it's live and it's so super relaxed and they didn't kind of buy into that. And then they just, you know, I went through so many different iterations of what I thought they could be. And at the end, we we landed on a really nice, simple, modern, clean aesthetic and it works beautifully and it photographed great and they love the space. In fact, we've had other people cafe owners come to us because they visited that space but the process was relatively painful to try because the i think the clients just weren't sure of themselves and who they wanted to be in this with with you know this venture so that was tough so i very much admire and appreciate the job you guys do because you know you this this having a great brand from the onset really helps the the design and that project i mentioned the restaurant with the artist on board he really had a particular vision for the color scheme and sort of the what he wanted on the ceiling and sort of some of the art he wanted and that in itself was a really great way to steer the architecture and how we were going to frame these this this feeling and that was it was easier to work in that direction because we had a very strong foundation so i would say um i i definitely now prefer when a client comes in and even if i'm not on board maybe i'm like wow that idea is not great <laughs> or that idea is not my favorite i like when someone has a very strong point of view and perspective because it gives me some really good meaty stuff to work with yeah yeah, that's awesome. That's some great insight there. Really cool. Um, we we kind of briefly touched on this earlier. Um, I'd like to kind of circle back to this concept of of the flexible teams and kind of the flexible workspace that you guys um, utilize for your agency and and what that looks like. Um, you know what it means to you guys and how that type of management workflow for you guys works to benefit you and benefit your projects and your clients. Yeah. 
you know, it it's it's really daunting to to own a brick and mortar office in New York, in Brooklyn. It's really tough. We've seen people do it. We've seen friends do it. We've visited spaces that are great. And, you know, the second you have a space and you have, you know, you, and you have a desire to have employees, then, you know, there's a lot of things that go along with us. And honestly, at the very beginning of starting our firm together officially and actually diving in with both feet, we weren't like, I wasn't convinced that that's actually, I, that's what I wanted. I didn't necessarily want to be like, I don't want to be someone's boss. I want to be in the thick of it. I want to be the one designing. I want to do the work. And so we started off on that, you know, project type. We would say this one requires two people. We're both here. We can do it. This other project is a one person project. It's great. We need seven people on this other. It's a big one. It's a lot more fast paced and it's a much bigger budget. It can stand to have more people on it, et cetera. And we started to bring in people sort of in a consultant basis. And how that helped us was we brought on licensed architects that are fully standalone. They have their own shop or they have their own business or they just, you know, work for another company and they want to do specific things that they're not able to do. And it's almost like having a Rolodex of experience in different forums and bringing them on as needed without incurring the expense or the stress or the um, overall like really difficult time of maintaining that kind of a brilliant staff on board the whole time. I mean, we would never be able to afford to pay the kind of people that we consult with on just on a regular basis in a year. You know, we'd have to have 10 big projects to that could sustain that kind of thing. So the model we started with really helped us be able to ramp up or ramp down with very minimal effort and very minimal stress and very minimal, you know, overhead. And that's a huge thing, you know, um, having overhead and, and being an ethical and a responsible boss and hiring someone and paying them what they should be paid hourly or by the project, having an intern, like I'm very against the concept of having interns that are your gophers and the people that do all this extremely hard legwork or, you know, design work that is tedious and takes a long time and um, not really giving them their money's worth or teaching them in a way that they can take something from it. So I didn't want anything to do with that. So we've created this, this situation where we can bring people in as needed. We have an office space um, in Brooklyn, in our house, and we're fortunate enough to have, you know, a, ba a, a brownstone space where we have a dedicated floor and we have our office space there. And so many consultants we work with here in Brooklyn, we can have meet before the pandemic, we could have meetings in this space and, and talk. And now that we have the entire world has transitioned to this working from home, working at a computer, at whatever space you have within your home, we sort of have not changed any way that we work at all, other than being on, you know, plenty more Zoom calls. Our workspace hasn't changed a bit. And the people we've been working with, their their situation hasn't changed a bit. And it's it's pretty phenomenal because I, I've seen uh, people have to really change and adjust the way they're working and put projects on hold and really like... Um, try and crack their heads about how they were going to make something work because they had a space they had to pay rent on and, a, and the, it, things were just very complicated. And we had all that infrastructure. I find that technology is the biggest thing right now with many companies, especially in the 
office um, realm, and I've actually just completed a couple of office spaces, they're all this money and work they put into having these beautiful spaces. Now it's all having to get segued into fixing the technology so people can all work from home. So we've been very fortunate that the model we have has enabled us to keep going with basically no stops at all. And we, you know, just maybe a little bit more expense in, in printers and paper and, um, more calls so it's been really advantageous and i do think people are going to use this model more from now on i think this pandemic has made everyone realize that you know work can happen good work really great work can happen you know and it could come out of someone's living room and that sort of um stigma of people not having a brick and mortar office is sort of disappeared. It's gone now. And I think that's great. Uh, it's good for everyone. It's good for small firms. It's good for people that are starting up. It's good for people that are coming out of school that might feel daunted that they don't necessarily want to go and work at a big architecture firm or they don't want to go and intern for someone that they can maybe take their hand at exploring things and they can sort of build something for themselves. So it's, it's so far, it's been pretty successful. And I think the trend is going in that way, in that direction. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense to be able to build custom teams for each project um, and not be on the hook for a crazy amount of payroll um, when when there is highs and lows in the workload and all of that. So I, I think that's a really smart approach. And like you said, um, through the last few months, we've proved that really great work can happen without a brick and mortar and um, so I think that's, I agree with you that we're going to see a lot more of that in the future and it's going to evolve the work scene. Absolutely. And the one other thing I would say on that, which is really fundamental, I think for everyone is, uh, and I've had this conversation with many people who have asked me, you know, have you ever thought, wouldn't it be so great if you had an office space that, you know, on the on the street somewhere and it's fancy and great and beautiful, you'd have a gorgeous office space. I'm like, of course I would. It would be amazing. But at the end of the day, I'm not only in this to pre produce good work and, you know, really work hard, but I am earning a living and I want to put money in my pocket from the work that I'm doing. And all, like you said, all that overhead, you know, um. I, I don't have any of that. And so all, all that, I think people should be empowered to to serve themselves as well and understand that you need a business model that works so that you are profitable and that you're successful. And it's not just about making successful projects for your clients. It's also become, doing successful things for yourself. And that's made me very proud that we made the decision that has kept us in the realm where we are profitable and where we're successful in what we're doing and it's all for us, you know, and it, it's not going down to something else, you know, if you know what I mean. Exactly. So, Nina, as, as we kind of switch more to the future, who are three people in the industry who inspire you? That's such a tough three people. It's always tough to answer questions like that. But I'm going to say that the person who is inspiring me the most right now is a designer um, artist. Her name is Melanie Barnett, and she has sort of transitioned her energy from she used to she used to own a textile and carpet design firm 
very successful in uh, in Manhattan. She sort of switched gears and wrote a pretty scathing article that she sent out that basically was, con- you know, condemning the entire architecture and design of, of, you know, industry of New York for the lack of representation for minorities and people of color. And it was a hardcore sort of take on the reality of, of the, of our industry. And I'm very inspired by her because instead of just sent, sat writing an article and complaining about how she feels about the situation, she started um, a guild called the, called Badge, and it's the Black Artists and Designers Guild. And her goal is is not necessarily to sort of only focus on people of color and Black people, but to really uh, create a space for unrepresented people and people that there's a lack of representation for designers and architects of color in general in New York and probably in the United States and in, you know, in the world in general. And I'm very inspired by her um, continued efforts to, you know, really include people and, and feature people that you wouldn't normally see on a, you know, on the big magazines and that, that are invited to do talks. And so she's not necessarily, I'm not necessarily inspired by specifically the, the work she's doing as, as an artist. Now she's shifted gears to creating uh, products that are uh, sort of vessels, artistic vessels and stuff. But I just really am inspired by her, her, being tired of the status quo of the way things were and knowing that there are a plethora of people out there. And I think it also expands past, uh, you know, the, the race thing. And it really is underrepresented people in every single field that don't really get credit uh, for all the work that they put in and don't have a, pl- a platform to stand up, you know, for a very long time, I think interior architects and interior designers did not get the dues that they, that they should have because, you know, somehow they seemed less than. And so I like that she's she's sort of standing up for that. And it's very inspiring. And I joined the guild and I just feel really empowered just sort of trying to, you know, help push representation and, and be better in our industry. Um, so that's one big one. She's, she's fantastic. Um, you know, it's hard. The other part of the question is it's hard right now to feel a little bit inspired, I would say, because of we're stuck indoors and it's really difficult to, you know, it, we all I, all I do now is whenever I'm looking for inspiration or I'm researching things is I'm looking at outdoor spaces in the West, somewhere in Utah, fantastic hotel that, you know, that kind of thing, like really like looking at travel magazines and imagining where I could go next year or the year after. So that's sort of I'm trying to feed my soul by by uh, by imagining where we will go, you know, after this and that kind of thing. And it's been less about who because no one's opening their new restaurant and no one's opening their new store and all of that. So I've, I've sort of been steering away from that and more kind of thinking about causes and also thinking about, you know, if I, once we're out of this, what can I take advantage of as far as what's available to us? That's really, you know, really good experiences, but no doubt, you know, looking at work from say Avroco, the, the, the company Avroco, their work is fantastic and rich and lush. And they are, they, I think they're very, um, inspiring. Most of their projects are just so, um, 
full of life and whenever I see anything whenever I'm scrolling through you know magazines on the internet I see their work I'm, I'm inspired by them a lot um I would say that that's pretty much you know where it's hard to feel inspired in the in these in these hard times but um right before the pandemic started I think my one of my thoughts was I would love to be the people that the person that was called on to design the wing um the uh you know what I'm talking about the wing the the it's like the we work version for, for that's that's centered around women and it's designed mostly for women yeah, yeah. and I I think that's fantastic um um Letitia Gora and Sarah Needleman they're they have they're the, the heads of Rourke Design and they've they've been they worked on the wing and I think they worked on the wing in not just New York um they're just fantastic, beautiful, bold spaces that are not afraid to take this very particular direction and say, this is a space for women and this is a space that's going to be bright and loud and lush and really beautiful. And I, I really like that having a very particular point of view and not being afraid to sort of say, I'm designing this for this particular thing and this particular person. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Is there anything else, uh, you know, talking about the future of the industry and just, you know, and even personally, if there's anything exciting for you, like, uh, I know it's hard to, like you said, get inspired in certain ways, but, um, is there anything you're looking forward to in, uh, in the near future or the distant future for you? Um, I'm actually really intrigued by the concept that I think some people, many different designers and architects are starting to explore this, but I would love someone to tap me on the shoulder to maybe try and do something like this. But I really am in, intrigued by the concept of hospitality spaces that spread over distance. So say in, in, in New York or in Brooklyn, if you had a hotel that housed was housed in five or six different buildings across two or three blocks in a neighborhood um hmm. i'm really intrigued with the idea of sort of an expanded idea of what a hotel or a an inn or you know i think airbnb really blew out of our minds you know what you know airbnb plus and these different uh, home away type of websites where you could go and and stay in a place that's gorgeous and really well designed and feel like you're home and that kind of thing. And then all these different hotels that are cropping up that are, you know, boutique feeling, but maybe not boutique price. I think now with the pandemic and the what we've been experiencing in the world and spaces that are now completely empty, you know, you walk in Brooklyn or you walk in Manhattan and half the places on one street are for, you know, for rent, for rent, and they're empty. You know, I wonder if we can start to utilize these spaces in a way that we can, you know, it, specifically in the hospitality and the hotel world. I think that would be an intriguing thing to start to create spaces that, you know, that go past the border of just one building and you have a hotel that spans three or four blocks and it's in different parts. And I, I find it to be an interesting concept. So I'm kind of... I'm intrigued to see if that'll go anywhere at all. Um, and I'd love to be, to explore that if someone ever wanted to tap me on the shoulder. And then for me personally, I'm really excited about what the possibilities are going to be for designing of commercial spaces, for office spaces, and also just 
cafes and restaurants, you know, um, in Brooklyn, I have never seen so many restaurants and cafes have outdoor space. You know, it's a really difficult thing to get sidewalk seating in New York without a huge hassle from the Department of Buildings and from all the neighborhood community board and all sorts of other things. It's hoops. You jump through hoops for everything, you know, and just having, you know, the quarantine and then slowly opening up of cities and the city making it extremely easy and sort of passing the permits right, right through for all these restaurants to be able to have outdoor space so people are not inside and passing the virus around. I think it's fantastic. I think it's phenomenal. I think I've never seen so many people sitting outside looking so happy and, you know, really exp being outdoors and, you know, um, you know, the tiniest hole in the wall place has a beautiful seating outside that they, they get a part of the street. And I'm hoping that trend continues it, one way or another. I'm sure once the world goes back to a place where cars are driving and everyone's really busy, it might change a little bit. But I'm hoping some of those things we've done in this pandemic to sort of make life bearable have been actually really great ideas. And I hope that they continue and then also just evolve the evol evolution of what a restaurant could be, should be a cafe, what it could be or should be, knowing that maybe you'll have seasons of, you know, uh, of a virus that come and go. And, you know, how do you actually design for that? So I'm excited about what the future brings now that we've had to contend with extremely hard, you know, time of our lives. Yeah. Yeah. It's all really fascinating and and interesting things to be thinking about. Keep keep us on the edge of our seats for sure, as as an industry. So yeah, um, Nina, thank you so much for for joining us today. We really enjoyed uh, the time we got to spend with you, and thank you so much for um, sharing so much with us. Thanks for having me. This was really great. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Future Hospitality Podcast. If you enjoyed today's topic and episode, please leave us a review. You can also find us on Instagram at future hospitality and on Facebook by searching for future hospitality. 